Welcome to Script to Screen's Talks podcast. Script to Screen is a charitable organisation dedicated to developing the craft and culture of storytelling for the screen in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Part of our annual programme, the Talk series, brings the creative community together to hear inspirational speakers delve into their creative process, craft, philosophy, or the broader creative landscape. Script to Screen has partnered with the New Zealand International Film Festival to bring you a special series of talks with the filmmakers at the 2017 festival. Max Curry chats candidly with British filmmaker Francis Lee about his experience of making his first feature film, God's Own Country. Regarded as one of the most assured, fully formed British debuts of recent years, Francis Lee is a filmmaker to watch. Congratulations on a beautiful film, and not only for what you did, but also for what you didn't do. Um, Johnny lives. He doesn't wind up tragically alone. He gets the guy, and the gays take over the farm. We know they're going to start like a boutique cheese business any day now. Um, The ending is hopeful. Was that your intention from the start going in, or did you discover that ending? Um, Thank you very much, Max, and thank you, everybody, for coming down these stairs and... Um, Yes, I love hope, and um, I felt that those two characters worked incredibly hard for that ending. Um, I think that Johnny went through this great big transformation for him, Mm. and it would have been perverse not to allow him to to have got some kind of... um, yeah, some, some uh, hope from, from what he'd been through. Um, so, yeah, it was always going to end that way. Um, God's Own Country is getting compared a lot to Ang Lee's Brokeback Mountain. But for my two cents, I mean, you make Ang Lee look like a city slicker, hawking, cliched postcards. I mean, we never saw Jake Gyllenhaal with his arm up a cow's bum, <laughs> and your film is just covered in the, the piss and shit and spit and mucus of animal husbandry. What role, I mean, it just gave it such texture. What's going on with all these bodily fluids? Can you talk about those for a second? <laughs> Um, yeah, so I guess, so I grew up, as I said earlier, I grew up on a, on a very similar situation. My dad is a sheep farmer, and my whole world was about not, not just the shit and the piss and the spit, but also about the circle of life. So it was very much about birth, life, death, and, and that was very much part and parcel of the world. Um, And when I started to think about making this film, I knew that I wanted to tell a very truthful, authentic story. Um, And so the poor boys I sent out to work on farms for two weeks and... The actors, yeah? The actors. And and they worked long shifts. They did like nine, ten hours a day. And they learned how to do everything because I knew I never wanted a stunt double or a hand double. And they would have to learn how to do everything. That was Uh, a real surprise to me, incidentally. So all the the birthing of the sheep, you know, the the swinging of the little lambs. Yeah, that's all the boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they learned how to do everything. Um, Alec worked with my dad, and the guy who played Georgi, and Josh, who played Johnny, worked with the farmer whose farm we shot on. Um, and uh, it was just really important to me to make sure that every... As a viewer, I hate being pulled out of a film mm. when I see any fakery. And for me, as a viewer, I knew I never wanted to be pulled out of this film. I just wanted to go on this immersive journey. Mm. 
So, so they were good boys and they learned everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just so that we've sort of, everyone's kind of seated now, we're just going to let you know that in about 20 minutes, um, we'll be taking questions from the floor. Um, but definitely one of the perks of this job is that I get to ask all the questions of Francis first. So yeah, have a think if there's anything that you want to know. We'll be rolling out some microphones shortly. Um, should we... I mean, this is a, a script-to-screen event as well as a New Zealand International Film Festival event, so we're partly interested in the, in the craft. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the writing process? Mm. Was it long and arduous? We've had dinner. I know he'd, like, belted this one out. So. No, so um, I, I hate typing. Yeah. I'm rubbish at typing. I can only type with one finger. So anything that, that makes that process really short is really good for me. So I thought about it, and um, I planned it all out in my head. Um, for about six months, and I worked out who these guys were, what they were about, what the beginning was, what the middle was, what the end was, and then I wrote it in four days, and um, and then kind of did bits and bobs with it, but four days. Yeah, if there's any filmmakers in the audience, they're spewing. <laughs> right, four days, Christ. Um, it, it, I want to, just before we get to, you know, more into process, I mean, it's such, a, it's such a privilege after seeing a film to come and have the, the film, the living, breathing filmmaker that this all sprang from here. And I, I thought it'd be interesting just to sort of play a, a game of decoding. I've just, I've written a few moments from the film. And so what you can give us is kind of what they mean to you. Okay. Um, you know, and, and maybe they don't mean anything. But okay. So what, what are you seeing, experiencing from these moments? Sure. So I've, I've got shooting a dead calf. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so for me, for me or for the character? No, for you. For you, because, you know, this is, this is what's kind okay. of cool about a Q&A. So again, I love the life, the, the circle of life yeah. and the practicalities of farm life. And, um, and so I grew up in a situation where if there was a sick animal, if it was that kind of situation, um, it, it didn't make any economic sense right. to get the vet because whatever money you spent on the vet, you would never get back from the sale of that calf when it was big and fat. So you shot it. Yeah. And, and so it, was, it, it just felt very practical to me. Uh, uh. Uh, Mum and her ironing board. Grandma. Yeah, okay. Um, she, so, yeah, um, uh, her and her ironing board, I guess. So, for me, it was coming from a family that don't, they're not particularly demonstrative. They don't yeah. tell you all the time that they love you and, they, and that you're amazing. Yeah. Um, but they always make sure that your washing is done and your ironing is done and there's always a hot meal. Yeah. And, and so it was that practical side of love. Yeah, yeah lovely. Um, being handed a pair of gloves. Mm. Again, that, that comes down to the practical side of love, that yeah. care, that kind of, you know, rather than going, oh, no, you'll get chilly, love, mm. and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, you know, put these on. Yeah. I'm spitting on a cut hand. Yeah. I'm a big fan of spit. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and bodily fluid, generally. <laughs> and um, I... <laughs> Um, I've just remembered this is being recorded. Um, <laughs> and um, I thought it was quite hot. Yeah, I, yeah. I think spit's quite hot, sorry. 
Uh, I mean, is the, I mean, I, I was curious. Is is that sort of something that happens often on the farm? Is it is it a disinfectant, or was it just something that you? Was it from his Romanian background? Yeah, I felt it was from his Romanian background. I felt he was like he, he was really practical. So you so, made this up? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So so I felt he was really practical, and he wanted to clean that cart. Yeah. So he spat on it. Yeah. Wow. Um, giving someone a sponge bath. Oh, yeah, so, um, um, yeah, so in my family, I've got a very close member of the family who's very disabled, mm. and, um, and the physical care that goes into looking after that person is quite tough. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, last one, a table set for two with two cans of beer. Um, yeah, romance. I mean, what more do you want? You know. Oh, I mean, so I was wondering, like, was it was this directly lifted from your life, or? Um, I might have put glasses on. Yeah. Um, yeah, romance. Yeah, cool. Um, I mean, do you, if you're asked to describe this film, do you say that it's a gay film? No, I say it's about love. Yeah. I say it is about somebody discovering how hard it is to be vulnerable and open enough to love and be loved. Mm -hmm. Were there, I mean, when you were growing up, I mean, are there any gay characters or stories that, for better or for worse, kind of really impacted on you? Mm. What were some of those? Can you remember? Mm. Um, my godparents were gay. Right. And uh, we're a couple for 50 years. Right. Um, and um, their relationship was kind of a beacon, really, right. of um, positivity right. and hope and love. Right. Um, also, my uncle Brian, who was a friend of my dad's, who was a painter and decorator, he, uh, he, was, he was gay and lived with my other uncle Brian. Um, <laughs> they were both called Brian. Yeah. Uh, and what about in film and TV? You know, the... Growing up? Yeah. I mean, I, like, it, this probably won't translate, I don't know, because you probably don't have these shows here. Try us. So there was, um, there was a roving reporter called Alan Wicker. And okay, he... Is this familiar to anyone in the audience? Yeah, okay. Ah, okay, yeah. great. Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. Awesome. So, so this guy was British, and he'd go all he'd go and go all around the world and send reports back. Yeah. And I remember in the seventies when I was a kid watching on TV something he did from San Francisco yeah. about the gay guys in San Francisco that felt quite important at the time. I didn't quite know why. <laughs> and how then, old were you around this time? When you like this? eight or yeah, nine. Yeah. Um, and then also in the 80s, early 80s, I guess early to mid-80s, film four was, was starting out and it was in, uh, making, it was funding incredible queer stories like My Beautiful Laundrette and uh, Another Country, um, uh, Prick Up Your Ears, oh, and those things were on the TV. Uh, uh, awesome. I mean... Um... Having seen this film, I've got to ask Francis, you know, what, what was it like for you coming out on, you know, growing up on a farm and being in this very sort of severe, you know, quite masculine environment? You know, so dull, yeah. really dull. It was really boring. 
Um, I told my dad and I, I told him because I was in love with someone and, um, and I was not having a good time. And, um, and I said, oh, dad, I have to tell you something. I'm in love. And he went, okay. And I went, but it's with a man, not a woman. And yeah. I cried and he just held me until I stopped crying and then said, you're mine and I love you. That's not Dale Francis. That's really, it's quite that's, dull. That's lovely. I want the whole like rejection thing. <laughs> but I never got it. It's more more pathos to draw on for your writing. Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah. Yeah. So you were shortchanged. I know. With I all know, that paternal right? love. God, you were fucked over. No struggle. Yeah. Um, with okay, so even though the writing of this film came together in a gallingly short period. Um, were there any different permutations for the stories or the characters or the ending? What sort of things did you try on? What never happened that you can tell us about? Uh, okay, so like the first version of this script, the only difference yeah. um, in, terms of, in, in terms of what you've seen and what the first version of the script yeah. was is that the Georgi character yeah. was called Kevin and he was from Leicester. <laughs> That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah, and then, and, and I was working, I'd given up acting, so I had no money, and yeah. I was working in a scrapyard and, yeah. um, to earn money, and I was working with this guy who'd come from Romania to the UK to find work and yeah. to better his life for him and his wife, and we became really good friends. And I was appalled and ashamed of the reaction that he'd had from the UK. Yeah. Um, and this xenophobia, and but I was amazed by how he coped with it uh, yeah. emotionally yeah. and physically. And at that point, I was like, mm, Kevin from Leicester just isn't cutting it. Um, <laughs> and like, he should be from Romania and yeah. should bring more of that into it. So I changed that character. Awesome. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about casting. Mm. Like, how did you find these? incredible actors mm. um, and how do you okay I'll, 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 one question at a time Max how did you find them so we, I worked with casting directors because I knew no Romanian actors and I knew no actors under about 40 <laughs> um, and so I worked with brilliant casting directors one in the UK and one in Romania and with Josh who plays Johnny um, he was just on the list and I liked the look of him, and so, but he was working in Corfu. He was doing a TV show. So, like the look of him, the first thing you saw was mm. like a headshot. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just okay. like what I liked his ears. Yeah. And um, uh, anyway, so we sent um, some scenes for him to mm. record and then send back, so I could look at them. And I got these scenes back, and I was utterly convinced he was from the north, um, from oh. Yorkshire or somewhere like that. The accent was so great. Oh. And then he had delivered such an incredible kind of emotionally repressed reading. Yeah. Um, he just seemed to in instinctively understand the role. But I <laughs> foolishly thought, well, he, this mu he must be just playing himself because oh. I was convinced. And a couple of weeks later, he was in London, so I met him. He came into the office and he was the antithesis of that person. Okay. He's from the south of England. Yeah. He's very middle class. He's very funny and smiley and um, joyful and, and really beautiful. And, um, and I was shocked. I was like, oh, God, what am I going to do now? <laughs> but then we started to work in the room, and I realized he was a totally transformative actor, uh. that he's, he's a shapeshifter, uh. and he can, he can literally transform himself. And that just totally turned me on. Uh. Um, and he had incredible hands. I love hands. And he had these huge 
meat plate hands, um, which I thought were really cool. And, um, and he wanted to work the same way I wanted to work, which was to build a character, to start from scratch, to, you know, to, to make it very character-driven. So he was great, so we cast mm -hmm. him. And then I got sent a whole load of tapes from Romania to begin with, and Alec, who plays Georgi, was one of those. And again, he just really nailed something. There was just some, some seed, some kernel of, of, the, of what that character was about. Right. But he had a terrible haircut. He was, he, was, <laughs> he, was play, he was in a play version of Fight Club and he'd got half his head shaved right. and like this terrible hair over here. So I was a bit like, hmm. But then I, then I went to Romania and I met him and embarrassingly, I, I couldn't look him in the yeah. eye. He was so handsome. Yeah. Um, and again, a, a very intelligent actor and a transformative actor. So... so he was, he was always my favourite. Yeah. But I knew this film was going to live or die by the chemistry. Yeah. So I'd cast Josh, and I lined up three, my top three uh, favourite Romanian actors and flew them to the UK and then worked with them in pairs. Right. Um, and I loved Alec and Josh. They just really hit it off. But I, you know, actors are clever, and if I'm in the room, if the director's in the room, they might be, like, just pretending. Yeah. So I sent them off for a get a, to have a cup of tea in the break, and then I just hid around the corner and yeah. watched them. And they, they were hitting it off. Yeah. Right. So, because so, I was going to ask, like, are you able to, as a director, to nurture, manufacture, encourage chemistry? Or your strategy was like, it needs to be there from the start? I think it's hard. I mean, I don't think it's impossible. But I think I didn't want to, I didn't want to give myself extra difficulty. Yeah. And these two were my favourite, uh, and they did get on the best. So you know, everything just fell into place. What role does the actor's own sexuality play in 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 helping them play these characters believably? It was something I never investigated. Yeah. It was a question I never asked, and yeah. I never I, I, and I never worried about. Uh -huh. It was something that I I I love the craft of acting. I believe in the craft of acting. Um, and so, I, yeah, I felt that if they were, if, I was very upfront about what they would have to do yeah, and how yeah. we were going to do that. Some questions about that too. Um, but uh, it was a question I never asked and have never asked. Uh -huh. I mean, what, in terms of the challenging, by the way, guys, we're getting close to that point where we're going to put <laughs> the mics out there. I mean, what was filming the love scenes like with these guys, the sex scenes? Yeah, it was, re it was surprisingly incredibly easy. Yeah, okay. Um, so I had worked with both actors, I think, for three months before the shoot. So I built this great relationship with them, this trusting bond. Um, and the sex scenes were the only things we rehearsed. Uh, uh. Um, and we choreographed them like a dance. So they had moves. And then um, and we, and we just we we spent a lot of time rehearsing them and then when it came to shooting them i just did like one or two takes uh. and did it very kind of quickly and the the dp um one of the reasons i really wanted to work with him was not only was he a, an artist in, in his own right as a dp but he was a lovely lovely man and i knew this camera was going to be so up close and personal with these boys that the person operating that camera had to be someone they could trust uh. and have a bond with and so that worked really well.
My kind of like stupid question is, I mean, do you, do you have to sit down and you know, have a conversation with these men about bearing all for mm. the camera? Mm. How does that conversation go? Is it tricky or? No, because you, you do it when you're casting. Well, I did it when I was casting. Mm. So every boy I met, I had this, it was almost like a script where I was like, so I want to be really upfront and honest about what we're going to do and blah, 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 blah. blah. And so right from the get-go, if there was anybody who was going to be uncomfortable with that, they yeah. would, they'd get weeded out. Okay. Um, I'm also really curious about casting. It was a smaller role, but the, um, the, the guy that Johnny you know, fucks right at the start of the oh, movie. Yeah. And, and what was casting that like? Because it's a small role, kind of a high-risk role in a way. And was that that actor's big break on screen or...? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, like, I, yeah. I, like, he's a lovely man. He, <laughs> he's called Harry Lister-Smith, and he's a lovely boy. Um, he, yeah, the, uh, I, lots of people came in for that role. Yeah. Um, they, yeah. No, it was, like, it was unfortunate that, obviously, because it was a small role, and because I shot, shot the film... Um, chronologically, the first scene he did really was that scene. And so he kind of turned up on set and was like, okay, so do you want to just get in and bend yeah. over? And, um, but um, yeah, no, I think he was really happy to do it. So the, it turns out the sex scenes were actually really easy to shoot because you rehearsed them so thoroughly. What was the scene or the scenes that you know, gave you nightmares? What was the, the most difficult scene to get right? <clears throat> I think it was the la I think it was that scene when Johnny goes to the potato farm in Scotland, and there's that scene with him and Georgi outside. That was tough. Mm. That was really tough because we didn't we we'd had to travel there and shoot all the coach scenes as we all traveled. All the crew came on that coach, right, right. so we That's had to smart. shoot that. And then we got there, and the light was going and. Um, it was raining, it was just miserable. And the boys were so primed for it, but also nervous of that scene. Mm. Um, and so I think it was that. It was, it, it was tough. I found it tough, mm. that scene. But the, the, mo that scene actually is all shot in one take. Mm. So mm. The, both of the boys just did one take of it. And... Um, uh, which obviously was great, but it was, and it was emotionally tough because it was, because I shot chronologically, it was right at the end, we were all really tired. It was a big emotional thing. Yeah, that mm. one, I'll stop, yeah. No, but yeah, I mean, you got that magic in the bottle that, I mean, it really, really got me. Um, can you tell us about any, you know those like lucky accidents or those kind of off-camera disasters? I mean, are there any sort of just, just tales from, from set of spooky coincidences or stuff that happened we'd never know about without asking you? Not anything really you see on camera. I'm, 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 boringly, I'm really controlling and precise and planned and orchestrated, you know. Um, Josh got very sick. That was not good. Um, so Josh yeah. got a terrible stomach bug um, about in week four of a six-week shoot, and I spent eight hours on a, in A&E with him on a drip shit. and then oh, spent uh, five days looking after him, and he was very poorly, so we had to shut down. 
Mm. And that wasn't a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hey, guys, um, we're ready to take some questions from you now. So if you can just raise your hand and we'll get a microphone to you um, so everyone can hear your question. Um, is it someone raising their hand there or just having a scratch? <laughs> yeah. Sir, yeah, can we get this man a microphone? Hi. Hi. Does Nana move out? Pardon? Does Nana move out? No, God no. He's going to do the washing. <laughs> Hi, I really Hi. love the film. Congratulations. Um, I was just wondering, this is your first feature film, right? So um, were there any filmmakers that you personally look up, looked up to or tried to like emulate in some way in this film? Yeah, I was just saying to Max, we're like, me and Max... Um, Sneaked off and had some beers. But um, I was saying to Max, over the beers, um, <laughs> I, I'm not a great... Um, I don't have a great knowledge of filmmakers. Um, uh, you know, I'm not... I, like, my references are, are a little bit rubbish. Um, but the filmmakers I love would be, like, the Darden brothers or Jacques Audiard or um, Mike Lee. Um, those are the kind of people I really love. What's your favourite film, Francis? Uh, okay. My favourite film is Working Girl. Awesome. Um, because it is the best film ever made in the world. <laughs> Down the back there, on the, on the aisle. Hey. Hi, Francis. Hi. Love the movie. It's fantastic. Thank, thank you. If you made it again, which don't need to, but is there any part, you, if you could, is there anything you would change or do differently? You know, I was really lucky that I was allowed to make this film the way in which I wanted to make it, and I could have only made it this way. There is one thing. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to tell you. Go on. But Go on. I, I, it, so Ian Hart, who plays Martin, the dad, I think that I would have chosen different costumes. <laughs> was that, did he dress himself? No, he didn't. Okay. That was me. That was, and yeah, I think okay. it was a mistake. Uh, yeah. Can I ask you one more thing? Yes. How did you choose your director of photography? Oh, well, so I, um, I had a terrible embarrassment of riches with cinematographers. And um, I won't name names, but I had like this um, list of about five people who I loved and... Um, sent the script, and um, incredibly, they all came back and said, yes, we want to do it. And, um, and these are big European famous cinematographers. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd narrowed it down, and I knew which one I thought I was going to go with. And then I went to see a film called Songs My Brother Taught Me at the London Film Festival and just totally fell in love with the way it looked and the way in which the camera moved and thought shit, I want to work with this person. Mm. And so I got in touch with him and we got talking and his response to the material and his response to me and our relationship and his aesthetic just was incredible. And, um, but he'd, he, he'd shot one feature at that point and so um, it didn't feel like a risk but people made me feel like it was a risk. Um, but I fought for him and got him, and I think he did an incredible job. Uh, so just next to you there, and then from someone at the front. Hi, the, um, Hi. the proximity of the city seemed to be quite a contradiction mm. for me, because um, 
this kind of story we tend to associate with very remote areas mm. where there's uh, a paucity of emotion and very spare lifestyle, very connected to the land and so forth. And yet it seemed, and, I, and by the way you're shaking your head, I presume it's quite deliberate, mm. that in, in many, many shots of the farm, the city lights were, were just tantalisingly close. Mm. And so he could have had a different lifestyle so easily, but, but there was something that kept him yeah. tied to the farm. I mean, don't Yes, absolutely. Uh, you're quite right, sir. It was very deliberate. Um, for me, it, it, like a couple of, it, it was important for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because I love the idea of the town encroaching on the farm and rural life and how this life is being eroded massively um, because of the expansion of towns and the urban sprawl. But secondly, it was super important that it, he, yes, you're quite right, he could have just gone. And, and experienced it. But he, he couldn't because he was so emotionally closed off and he couldn't make that leap. When he talks about going out in Bradford, that's like a 10-minute car ride away. <laughs> you know, he, but he can't quite get there. Um, and so it was him, it was himself who was preventing a different life. Mm. Cool. Yes, you have a question here. Hi. Hi. What was the thought process behind the lack of music in the film? <laughs> um, so I, I really wanted the soundtrack to be the soundscape of the natural world. And I worked incredibly hard on that sound. And it's, it, the sound is... In, I could bore you for hours about the sound. It's, it's incredibly orchestrated. The wind sounds are, are, are all specifically chosen. The birds are very specific and specifically placed for various reasons. And I wanted to build this world without music, in a sense, because I live on that hill, and so those sounds are so totally present and, for me, evoke kind of emotion and feeling and stuff. So I didn't, I didn't want to have a score. Francis, one of the things that I found fascinating you mentioned over dinner was that Georgi had his own wind yes. sound. Do you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, so, um, so what Georgi brings with him, whenever you see Georgi in the film, he has his own wind sound. Um, <laughs> And, um, and, you know, and, and it was a very specific sound. Um, and then when he leaves, um, the sound, the wind stays, almost like this chorus reminding Johnny of this space that has been created because he's gone and stuff. Yeah, so there's lots of things like that in the soundscape that clearly only I know. Uh, but, yeah, I think our audience feels them, for sure. <laughs> Hi, we've got a question from the far corner. Hello, thank you. Hi, Francis. Um, Hi. Just my question is about the, the, the name, um, God's Own Country. Oh, yeah. And just how you came to that. Um, because yeah. I don't know if you know, but New Zealand is kind of known as God's Own Country. Yeah. And so the, the connection is kind of interesting. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, so Yorkshire also is known as God's Own Country. <laughs> um, as is Kerala and parts of Australia and America. Um, there were lots of places, weirdly. But um, I loved it for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because it was a, a phrase that I'd grown up hearing all the time and very proud Yorkshire person. Um, but also, for me, it, it felt like something that, you know, like, it, 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 for me, it kind of explains that thing of heaven or happiness can be a place where you create it yourself. You can endow it yourself. But I think New Zealand is God's own country. I'm, I think it's lovely. 
You had a good time in Wellington. I love Wellington. Uh, yeah. Man, oh, and question? Auckland is yeah. really nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to say welcome to New Zealand. Oh, thank you. Um, I wanted to come and see this um, film not because of the, the plot, but because it was called God's Own Country. Although um, my life is the plot. Oh, okay. Right? Wow. Um, I wanted to also say that um, this film struck me as really authentic because... I grew up on a farm. Okay. I, I come from a farming background. And someone said that farming, uh, New Zealand farmers were, uh, you know, masculine and it was tough and stuff. Well, I grew up on a farm. Uh, it was a farm run by Māori, my grandfather, and there was a lot of love and a lot of affection. And that was demonstrated not just by me getting a bicycle or a new horse, but... I think it's a different culture. Mm. So when in New Zealand, we're not all like that. Mm. And in fact, I don't think New Zealanders are like that anyway. But I was looking at um, Georga um, skinning the lamb and I thought, man, this is what happens. Mm. Uh, because I've seen that happen on the farm. And um, I, the only thing I didn't really like was the poor calf. Um, but it did feel very, very genuine. And from someone from a farming background, thank you very much for oh, that. Oh, great. Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Thank Kia ora. you. Yeah, Francis, what, in general, I mean, what what kind of responses have you received from, from farmers and the farming communities around the world? Is there any of them that sort of stand out to you? I mean, like, the only ones, I think, who've seen it are, like, it's been, this film has been shown in, in, in lots of cosmopolitan, urban, you know, areas. Um, but but uh, my dad and some of his farming friends came to see it in the UK, wow. and and they really loved it. They yeah. really loved it. They you know um, they were very emotional about it. Mm. Um, yeah, it was very positive. Awesome. Um, any other questions from the audience here? Hello again. Um, the videos at the end of um, of the movie are they personal like home? Memories, videos. What's the story behind that, and like, what's the connection? Yeah. So I, so I, I had this thing that when I was an unemployed actor and I'd sit at home watching daytime TV, and there was this show again. I don't know if you get this show here. Um, it was called Escape to the Country, and um, it was all these people who were leaving towns and things and going, "Oh, we're in the country. It's so amazing and lovely." <laughs> and they got all these happy people farming. And it just wasn't my experience at all. You know, I, I just saw it as cold and wet and muddy and miserable. And, um, and so I really loved the juxtaposition of putting something in the film that, that, kind of sh uh, that, that kind of does that thing of going, look at it, isn't it pastoral and bucolic and amazing? Mm. And Yeah, and, and, and so those... No, they're not... My, my family would never have been able to afford a camera. Um, no. So they, they're, from a, they're from Lincolnshire, which is a county in the UK, and they're 1950s um, archive footage. Mm. We've got time for maybe one or two more questions. I just want to ask, um, what has making this film revealed about yourself to you? Like, what do you know about yourself now that you didn't know when you started making it? Um, that's a really good question, Max. No, well, no. Um, I think that I... What have I learned? 
I guess just to keep going, not to mm. give up, mm. to, um, to, you know, learn the power of no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was quite a good one. Um, yeah, not to give up, just, just to keep going and, and not to think too far ahead, mm -hmm. you know, just, just work moment to moment um, and not be too, not always be so quick. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And did, I mean, undertaking this, this massive project, did it come at any personal cost? I mean, what, what did you have to... Yeah? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it did, okay. Yeah. Um, and just before we ask the, I mean, do you want to elaborate on what that was or prefer not to? I mean, I, I just think that there's such massive endeavors, there's such sacrifices. Yeah, but nobody, I mean, nobody wants to hear the, the rubbish bit, do they? You know, that's, I that, do. that's, um, you know. Well, what did it take to make this film? I mean, what, because there's a, there's a, there's a story behind that in terms of, you know, there's just, you know, if anybody is going to do something that yeah. they haven't done before, there's a certain yeah. amount of self-sacrifice, I think, yeah. and a certain amount of um, willingness to put yourself on the line and commit to something, you know. Yeah. Uh, look, I, uh, this film has done incredibly well. I, I could not be happier. Yeah. And so if I sat here and said, you know, I, I haven't earned any money in three years yeah. and... Um, I haven't had a uh, I haven't had a break in two years. Uh, no one would care, uh. you know. They'd like, they'd be like, oh, so what? You know, look at your film. It's done really well. Um, we're not going to feel sorry for you. Um, but yeah, there, there's there's you know um, there's lo lots of things that that uh. Uh, yeah. Thank you. No. What what we're about to to wrap up. Um, any more questions? Oh, we've got two. Great. So first we'll hear from the man in the red and white, and then from, yes, Brian. Francis, thank you. Your talent is our gift. Oh. And what's the next film going to be? Um, yes, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm working on a couple of things at the moment, and um, yeah, that would be all I'm telling you. Nice try. It'll be something yeah. I've written. What happens to them? I mean, I know you've, you've done your job as a filmmaker, but just as we wrap up, like, what do you think are some of the milestones and challenges ahead of these characters? I, I, I miss them. I'm interested in them. I, I want to know what's, what happens to them. Like, I think it's a really interesting question, and it's not one that I've ever really dwelt yeah. on, boringly. I, you know, the, my favourite moment in the film is that last moment when they slam the door, because <laughs> that, to me, is them going, OK, you've, you've hung out with us, we've shown you a bit of our lives, now fuck off and yeah. we'll get on with it. Yeah. And, um, and I like that. I think, you know, yeah. I think they'll, they'll, they'll sort themselves out in some way. Fantastic. I, but I do think they make cheese. Yeah, yeah, OK, good. I really do. Yeah. There was the one thing that I didn't include in the film. There was a whole um, scene of them uh, tasting the cheese. And, <laughs> and it was very beautiful and funny. Um, yeah. But um, it didn't make the cut. OK. Um, Francis, it's been a massive privilege. Thank you. Matt. I was flubbed on privilege. Massive privilege meeting you and talking to you and, yeah, and seeing your film. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we can just tell by the amount of people that came down here and the questions that are asked. There's a real enthusiasm for it as well. So everyone, please join me in congratulating Francis on this beautiful film.
The talk series is proudly supported by the New Zealand Film Commission, Foundation North, Images and Sound, and White Studios. Music for the podcast was provided by Poddington Bear, and voiceover is Lucy Wigmore.